I did. From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. So good to be with you. I am sitting in for Tony today. He will be back in the chair on Monday. Happy Father's Day to those of you who will be celebrating, which I hope is all of you, on Sunday. I want to remind you that the the website for the program is TonyPerkins.com. We will be talking about fatherhood at the end of the program because it is a unique moment in American history as the need for involved, responsible fatherhood is as acute as it has ever been. We will discuss that today on the show. But first, a couple other stories we're going to cover. History was made this week in Texas in a congressional district that borders Mexico. What was that history? Does it signal a shift that could change the future election outcomes across the country? We'll tell you all about it and what it could mean. In addition, Sports Illustrated said this week that if the Supreme Court protects the right of Coach Joe Kennedy to pray after football games, it would represent a threat to democracy. What do they mean by that? Are they correct? We'll talk to one of Coach Kennedy's attorneys all about it. But first, the headline for today. There have been more than 50 attacks on churches, pregnancy care centers, and other pro-life facilities since the draft Supreme Court opinion on the Dobbs case was leaked earlier last month. While Republicans have been calling on the Biden administration to take action, congressional Democrats have said little to nothing about it. When asked about the attacks yesterday, Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, dodged the question and recited some well-worn pro-abortion talking points instead. Republicans are going after Democrats for not saying anything, and they're saying that that your rhetoric is contributing to these attacks on these crisis pregnancies. Well, let me just say this. A woman has a right to choose, to live up to her responsibility. It's up to her, her doctor, her family, her husband, her her significant other, and her God. Uh, This talk of politicizing all of this, I think, is something uniquely American and not right. Other countries, Ireland, Italy, Mexico, have had legislative initiatives uh, to expand a woman's right uh, to choose very Catholic countries. I'm a very Catholic person, and I believe in every woman's right to make her own decisions. Any other questions on another subject? Because I'm not going to be talking about that anymore. Well, after repeated calls to investigate acts of violence from abortion industry sympathizers, the FBA today finally announced that it will investigate the attacks and the threats. With me now to talk about it is U.S. Representative Dan Bishop, who's a member of the House Judiciary Committee and the Homeland Security Committee. He represents the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina. Congressman Bishop, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Joseph. I'm happy to be with you. We are happy to have you. Were you surprised by the announcement today, finally, that the FBI is going to look into what is a a rash of attacks against pro-life organizations? Well, Joseph, it certainly is high time. I've uh, followed the Washington Stands uh, listing of 50 separate incidents of vandalism or, in, in several cases, firebombings 
Uh, you've had attacks on churches in addition to the pregnant crisis pregnancy centers. And, um, you know, that's just astonishing. Watching the clip of Nancy Pelosi is out of touch as ever. But, you know, what we saw, it makes me think in the Judiciary Committee, uh, we saw the Attorney General step out in just a matter of about three days, three business days, to respond to a concocted uh, set of allegations about threats to education officials, to school boards, because parents were showing up in school boards to speak out. And they called that, you know, threats and called for a nationwide set of meetings in every U.S. judicial district by uh, by FBI uh, uh, officials. So th this is a little late from the FBI for sure, but it's welcome in any event because that list of of uh, that list of of attacks on crisis pregnancy centers and churches will will spin your head around. It it is a, a, a mind boggling. And, uh, and it needs to be responded to by federal law enforcement, certainly. Yeah, Congressman, do you think this is as simple as the Justice Department being in a place where they are not going to acknowledge that there is a potential threat from their side and wanting to just kind of delay that admission as long as possible? Unfortunately, I think we've seen the most politicized United States Justice Department in memory and so, yes, I think they're trying to uh, uh, keep a low profile about it. it. Frankly, if it weren't for the Washington stand, uh, I don't think the information would be available about all the vandalism and the attacks in one place. So I, I think it's been sort of uh, given uh, not much play in mainstream media e either. And that's often how it works, uh, sort of corrupt corporate media uh, cooperates with and act, aids and abets the Biden administration and and ignoring uh, serious problems until they're until they're until something really bad uh, happens. I'm glad though that the uh, that the administration is responding to this threat. That's exactly right. And if people want to see that list that Congressman Bishop is referencing there, you can go to WashingtonStand.com, see that article. You can see all 52 documented cases. Um, but another development from this week is that a group called Jane's Revenge, they've claimed responsibility for many of these attacks already. But this week, uh, they published something of a manifesto where they said, quote, the leash is off. They said it is, quote, open season on other pro-life organizations moving forward. Do you think that is what finally has prompted the Justice Department to say, hey, we've got to get ahead of this? You know, I don't know. We've also seen the um, what's the name of this one? Something named after Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg. I, I forget the uh, what they call themselves, but they're the ones who are uh, putting out, you know, addresses of justices' homes and showing up at justices' homes even after the guys uh, showed up at Kavanaugh's residence to try to kill him. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> it, it, what the left will do in this country will not surprise those of us who are believers. We've seen it. And we uh, we respond to it uh, uh, appropriately, and and we uh, make sure we speak out for law and order. And we, we just we're sort of in a mess, but we're going to have to bear with one another and uh, and see to it that we do not allow this to happen to the Christian com community. You mentioned there the attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh, which thankfully was not successful, but it basically been admitted that that was what that young man was there to do. Um, 
that provides some interesting context. That and this the 52 attacks on pro-life uh, organizations and churches around the country provide interesting context to the January 6th commission hearings, which have been going on uh, not quietly in D.C. I'm not sure that the rest of the country has been tracking these very carefully. But, of course, the purpose of that is to create the impression that there are there's all this danger, all this risk from right-wing extremism, do you see irony in the fact that there's actually a dramatic increase in left-wing violence and extremism, specifically from the abortion industry, at specifically the time congressional Democrats are trying to prove that the real risk is from right-wing extremism? Well, your point is well taken, Joseph. I think what's always been the problem with the Democrats and their grotesque political use of the January 6th riot at the Capitol is that they've always been out of proportion. Frankly, every Republican, I've never seen a Republican fail to condemn the violence on January 6th. But leftism has seen violence in all the way through 2020. Remember all that, where Minneapolis was, you know, large sections burned to the ground and all over the country in riots, BLM riots. And then, as you say, now this, and, and, and the, by the way, the Washington stand has a much longer list of violence directed against the uh, against pro-life uh, uh, communities and and churches over the last year and a half, but this spate subsequently, the, the left has been entirely uh, violent, and and so the January sixth committee seems to be sort of wrapped around an axle. They they do not seem to they're out of it. Just emphasizes the way in which the left has been in Washington increasingly out of touch. That's all they can focus on. They have nothing new to say about it. It was a bad thing. And we need to see to it that that doesn't happen again. But the way you do that is protect the Capitol adequately. They don't they haven't even looked into why we didn't do that. You know, why didn't Nancy Pelosi have appropriate amount of force out there to to deal with the rioters or the, the protesters that and some of whom became rioters on that day? Yeah, and I think it's important at this point in the conversation to underscore the fact that this is not whataboutism. This is not trying to justify extremism and violence by anybody's side because the other right. side does it too. But what we have to do is come together and realize, and, and, and our, our worldview allows us to acknowledge that sin nature is bipartisan, right? And anybody can be driven to do terrible things if their hope is in the wrong things. And increasingly, I think our hope in the country is too much in politics. And so we get too agitated when things do not go our way, which leads us to do terrible things, and we all have the potential to do that, but we aren't going to solve that problem, excuse me, if we are all intent on defending our tribe. And what we have to do is just generally recognize this is a problem. Now, Congressman Bishop, uh, Senator Cotton this week called for uh, Attorney General Garland to resign over his delay in responding to this. Do you think that's appropriate? Well, I, I think there are many things over which it'd be appropriate for the attorney general to resign. I made the comparison uh, to what to, to this politicized activity against uh, school uh, parents of school children across the country, and the uh, we've had seen some more information come out about that. Yes, I think this is a an intolerably slow response to a serious threat across the country. To this day, the Justice Department has not come forward to enforce the law that says that uh, you can't have a, a protest designed to intimidate a judge of a United States court while a decision is, is in under consideration. And that's what they're trying to do. These appearances outside the houses of the justices should result in arrests and convictions 
indictments for for that activity. So yeah, I, I, it, it, Garland is is doing anything but his job. And and also at the Washington stand, you can see some reporting this week about the the slow response and the fact that at least in the in the 12 blue states where this has happened, there has not yet been a single arrest in any of these dozens of cases. Does that mean that law enforcement just in general is dragging its feet on this issue? We certainly hope not. But Congressman Bishop, before I let you go, I want to get your response to the news from the Border Patrol that last month saw yet another record uh, border crossings. What's your reaction to that? Well, there you have another official that shouldn't be in his post. So Secretary Mayorkas of the Department of Homeland Security should be impeached, uh, will be impeached. I'm confident Kevin McCarthy has said so uh, himself. And uh, so what we see, though, in the report you just mentioned is a new record on top of all the records that have been set uh, in the uh, in, in the in the two years that Joe Biden has been in office, roughly a year and a half, uh, and um, we've seen you know if, at this rate, a quarter million immigrants a month. That's a basically a congressional district every calendar quarter of people coming into the United States. There's also you know new reports on new high numbers of gotaways. Those are the people that Border Patrol never encounter. They never interdict or stop any of them. Of course, the ones they are encountering large shares of those are being released into the United States on their own recognizance. And you have hundreds of thousands of people who have never been caught by Border Patrol because they're busy changing diapers and overwhelmed uh, and overwhelmed uh, ports of entry and so forth. It is, so, Congressman I, Bishop, we are out of time. It is a national security issue. We appreciate you coming uh, to update us on that today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joseph. Coming up next, is this a related issue? A congressional district that had voted for Democrats for 150 years went for the Republicans. What does it mean? We'll talk about it when we come back. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. 
Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. It's my pleasure to be with you today. History was made this past Tuesday when voters in a Texas border congressional district, one that's well over 80 percent Hispanic, elected its first Republican representative since Reconstruction over 150 years ago. Former Democrat turned Republican Myra Flores won the special election district in Texas and replaced a former Democrat, Congressman Philemon Vila Jr., As the Congresswoman-elect and many others noted, the Democrats' progressive values don't reflect those of the majority Hispanic border town and their residents. They've gone so far left, and they don't represent our values. People always ask me, Myra, how can you be a Republican whenever you were born in Mexico? And that's That clearly shows me that they know nothing about our culture. I was raised with strong conservative values. We're all about faith and family and hard work. That's who we are. So our values do really align with the Republican Party. For a long time, congressional Democrats and the Democratic Party in general has assumed that the Hispanic community was a reliable voting bloc. They have consistently voted for Democrats over the last 100 years and certainly the last even recent decades. Does this election signal a shift? We've also seen lately where uh, left-wing funds have purchased radio stations, Hispanic radio stations, that they are concerned have been influential in driving people to the in driving the Hispanic community specifically to the right. And so they purchased these radio stations ostensibly with the goal of preventing that influence from happening. We saw the Hispanic community break two Republicans consistently during the Trump administration. There was a lot of irony in that, perhaps for the left, 
there was certainly a lot of frustration in that for the left because they thought that Trump was going to incite the Hispanic community against him. And of course, the many multiple allegations of racism over his border position, they assumed would drive the Hispanic community into Democratic voting arms. But in fact, we saw the opposite happen. And it's one of the reasons why the state of Florida uh, ha has gone from a purple state to what most assume now is a reliably red state. So now that we have congressional districts in Texas on the southern border, congressional districts that are a supermajority, not just a majority or not just significantly Hispanic, but, but a supermajority, 80% plus of Hispanic voters, and they are now voting for Republicans. What does this mean for the future? Does this represent just the just something does this tell us only something about that particular district, or does this tell us something about the Hispanic community as a voting bloc across the country? After all, if the Democrats lose the Hispanic community as a voting bloc, if that moves to the right, that will completely confuse all of the demographic projections and all of the political projections moving into the future. And so the question we have, and what you heard there from Myra, uh, it's Myra Flores, she is the Congresswoman-elect, former Democrat turned Republican. Hey, I'm a, do we have our guest? Okay, we do. And with me now to discuss all of this is FRC Action Director Matt Carpenter. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Great to be on. Hey, good to see you. I was breaking this down a little bit, but I want to bring you into that conversation. How surprised were you in the 34th District results? It certainly was surprising. I mean, I, I was listening in, and you were you were describing the supermajority. And if there was another word to describe orders of magnitude even higher than the supermajority, I think we would be we would be using that word. But uh, to put it into context, this is the second uh, highest Hispanic uh, populated district in Congress. And so now we should clarify: this district uh, was the previous district. And so after redistricting, Myra Flores is going to have to run in an entirely new district, but she will have an incumbent advantage there, speaking to voters, representing them for, for the few months up until the election. But um, I got to tell you, Joseph, there was an earthquake on Tuesday, and it went from Brownsville to Corpus Christi. But I think a lot of people here in D.C. and across the country, uh, particularly in the Democratic Party, had a rough night. Well, Matt, we played there that clip from uh, Congresswoman-elect Myra Flores her um, analysis of, of what happened in that district. What's your take? What has caused this? Yeah, I mean, she said it best, right? I mean, she, you know, we can't speak for the Hispanic community, but they're speaking for themselves right now. And so we're just playing catch up, I think. But, you know, the way she put it was, from what I heard, the Democratic Party left us, right? She campaigned on God, country, and family. And those are the those are the three values that she struck. That those are the, the major themes of her campaign. Uh, and you heard it from her. She said the Democratic Party left us. We didn't leave them. And so the big story from from the 2016 election was the white working class felt like the Democratic Party had abandoned them. It seems like we're we're getting closer and closer to another general election where another major uh, part of the Democratic coalition feels like they've been abandoned as well. And the early signs are that that is uh, Hispanic voters, particularly in South Texas and South Florida, but also in places like Nevada, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. 
uh, and most recently in Virginia, where we saw Glenn Youngkin cruise to victory uh, just last year with a majority of uh, Virginia's Hispanic vote. Matt, it seems that these days, in order to be a Democrat, you have to be enthusiastic about partial birth abortion, about sex changes for six-year-olds, about drag queens. And those values are not necessarily consistent with what the Hispanic culture is. And, and perhaps the white American elite progressives have completely misunderstood what the Hispanic community is about. But I'll ask you this last question. Do you think this represents a permanent shift in the way the Hispanic community will be voting? Yeah, just I've been thinking a lot about this. And when you have one data point, right, and I would, I would look at Trump's success in 2020, improving dramatically his standing in those communities by 10 points nationally. And when you look specifically at South Florida and South Texas, we're talking 20, 25 points in some places. You have one data point. But when, now once you move into another election, you have another data point, you can draw a line. And what we're seeing is the intensity is picking up. I think Hispanic voters are seeing that they have a place in the Republican Party. But not only do they have a place, but that they're going to actually get their hands on the levers of power within the party. They're going to start directing it towards their ends, uh, and they're going to have their values represented in the Republican Party. Uh, and I think that's a benefit to our political system in general, Then um, it's going to lead to an exciting election season, that's for sure. Matt Carpenter, thanks so much for your time. Coming up next is the potential that Coach Joe Kennedy would be allowed to pray after a football game on the field, a threat to our democracy. Sports Illustrated thinks so. We'll talk about it when we come back. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com. No one is in the habit of looking to Sports Illustrated to understand the world. Until recently, they've been known for their coverage of sports and for better or worse, swimsuits. But in a recent article, they ventured far outside their lane to issue a perspective on the case of Coach Joe Kennedy, the praying coach from Washington State who was fired for praying on the field after football games. The article considered the possibility that the Supreme Court would rule in Coach Kennedy's favor and say it is a constitutional right for a coach to be able to pray in public. Now, they described that potential, if not likely outcome, as a threat to American democracy. Is that true? Here with his reaction to the Sports Illustrated column is Jeremy Dice. He's Coach Kennedy's attorney at First Liberty Institute and the best-looking bald guy in the state of Texas, which is saying something. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Can you hear me, Jeremy? I just gave you a very flattering introduction, and I don't think he can hear me. So I think we're going to wait to get Jeremy back on the line because he is Coach Kennedy's uh, attorney, and he has been uh, representing this case for a number of years. And as a reminder, uh, this case out of the state of Washington began in the, the litigation around this happened in about 2015 uh, because for years, Coach Kennedy had been coaching football and had made it a personal Commitment. Do we have the guest? Oh, okay, here. we got him. Jeremy, we got you. I'm here. Good to see you, Joe. Oh, it's good to see you. Thank you for joining us. I uh, just gave the lead in about this article. What was your response when you first saw what Sports Illustrated had to say about this case? Well, I, I thought it was an unfortunate way to phrase the case, linking things that are the present to things that happened seven years ago that really have no bearing on on Coach Kennedy's case. And frankly, the fact that Sports Illustrated seemed surprised that there would be a, a, a person praying on a football field, uh, would, that that would somehow surprise their readership. I think they need to go back and do their own market research on that to realize that it'd be completely unsurprising to everybody who reads Sports Illustrated to see anybody praying on a football field. But, you know, look, aside from that, Coach Kennedy, you know, you know it well, Joe, that he made a commitment by himself he made a commitment to God to go to the 50-yard line by himself to pray at the 50-yard line following the games that he coached. For that, he was suspended. He was later on fired. And we've now been litigating that case for almost eight football seasons, as he likes to say. And we're just within, you know, the last couple inches before the end zone for the Supreme Court to issue its decision here in the next two weeks to, to see if Coach Kennedy is going to be able to pray. And for that matter, what that's going to mean for our public school teachers and coaches all across the country. Yeah, you can't help but wonder if Sports Illustrated spends any time watching football to think that their readership uh, would be offended by the prospect of people praying on the football field, because that is, uh, despite the secular nature of our culture, a very common sight. But Jeremy, how did we get to the place? And specifically, they said in their highlight, in their headline, excuse me, that the prospect of Coach Kennedy winning would be a threat to American democracy. How did we get to a place where people would see the, the prospect of someone praying in public on a football field as a threat to democracy. Oh, goodness. Thankfully, our headline writers are never wanting for hyperbole. Uh, look, I, I think at the very least, this was threatening to Coach Kennedy's job as we saw that uh, take place. And just go back to 2008 when Coach Kennedy became a football coach. He made that commitment to, if he was going to be a coach, he was going to go to the center of the field and take a knee in private prayer by himself. And how long were those prayers going to last? 
like 15, maybe 30 seconds total to thank God for the game, the players and everything that just took place. Uh, and, you know, soon students started showing up. They asked if he could, they could join him. He said, look, it's a free country. Do what you want. Uh, and, and so sometimes the players would be out there. Sometimes they wouldn't. You know, sometimes when you get beat by 40 points, you don't really want to do anything but get back to the locker room. But over a period of years, it kind of turned into this sort of religious motivational speech slash prayer thing. But when the school district did their investigation, they found out about it, and they asked Coach to stop praying with the students. His immediate response was to say, okay, absolutely, I understand. I'll not pray with the students ever again. And to this day, he still has not done so. Uh, the reason he was terminated was because the school district continued to move the goalposts on him. First, they said that this would take away from his post-game job responsibilities. And so they offered him instead to go into the, the school building to, to pray in the school building itself, as if prayer was something that had to be hidden from view. But you know that's kind of odd because it would take a lot longer to walk all the way across the field, up across a practice field, and through a bunch of steps and down a hallway to go into the school building when he could have just done it on the 50-yard line right then and there. Uh, and then they said, well, no, no, actually, it's because students can see you engage in this religious activity, and that's enough to violate the Establishment Clause. If that's the standard of the First Amendment, then I, I think there's more damage to our religious freedom than I had even thought. In fact, the school district argued at the Supreme Court that there would be no necessary state action in this case to violate the Establishment Clause, meaning that if a student saw him praying over his food at the Waffle House, he could be subject to termination on these things. That has never been the meaning of the First Amendment. It should not be the meaning of the First Amendment. And I think in the next two weeks, we're going to see the Supreme Court reaffirm the principle that no one should have to choose between their faith and the job that they love. And Jeremy, you're exactly right. I think that the prospect that the government can tell somebody you may not kneel in prayer for 15 to 30 seconds is a much greater threat to our democracy than the threat, quote unquote, that a high school kid would see their coach kneeling in prayer for 30 seconds on the field. But Jerry, Jeremy, you hinted at it there in about 30 seconds. What do you expect from the Supreme Court? Well, I think they're going to reaffirm, reaffirm the principle that they held back in 1969 in Tinker versus Des Moines that, that students and teachers do not have to shed their constitutional rights when they walk through the schoolhouse gates. That that First Amendment protects their right to be able to engage in what the school district here called demonstrative religious activity, what we just simply refer to as Coach Kennedy's 15 to 30 second silent prayer. That's a very simple thing. And if you want to know more about that, just go to CoachKennedyFacts.com to see exactly what he's done to be fired. Jeremy Dice, First Liberty Institute, thanks so much for your time. Thanks. Coming up, it is Father's Day weekend that we will celebrate on Sunday. It has never been a more important time to recognize fatherhood. We're going to talk about the crisis that the country is facing and what can be done when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. 
With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview here at Family Research Council, sitting in for Tony today. This weekend, we will celebrate Father's Day. Back in April, Florida signed a bill into law, HB 7065. It was first of its kind legislation that addresses the root cause of the challenges facing children today and encourages responsible and involved fatherhood. Following their lead, Two Republican members of Congress have introduced a resolution affirming the importance and impact of fatherhood in the development of America's children and the need to support efforts that promote and encourage engaged fatherhood. We'll talk about that more in a bit. But first, I want to bring in Florida House Speaker Chris Sproles, who helped lead on this issue in the Sunshine State. Speaker Sproles, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks, Joseph. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. We're so glad to have you. First, just give me a little bit of your heart. Why is it that this issue matters to you? Yeah, it, it matters to me. Well, first, you know, I, I have two little boys, uh, and I, I can see, you know, certainly in their life, but in the lives of all children, uh, the importance of fathers. But just to take a step back, uh, Joseph, because, you know, this weekend we're going to celebrate Father's Day. I'm going to call my dad, and I encourage us all to celebrate dads across the country. But I also want this to be an action weekend for, for the country. You know, the state of Florida moved forward because we've seen what happens when children don't have a father. And and for those who are watching, you know, the, the, the statistics are clear here. One in four children in America today will grow up without a present father in their home. And what do we know about those kids? We know that a child is 50% uh, more likely to be depressed 
uh, if they don't have a, child, a father in their home. They're 80% more likely uh, to be incarcerated at some time in their life. A child with a present father is twice as likely to graduate from college or, or have a stable job. You know, this is something that impacts not just kids and how they grow up and, and their heart of, of having to to want to be by a father, but also their success in life. And as we look at all these ailments that, that come across our society, many of the dominating factors of those things can be linked back to not having a present father in our home. And, and it is time that we tackle that in a meaningful way. As you mentioned, the state of Florida uh, this this past year. Uh, we, we, we led the country in developing uh, legislation that puts over $70 million into grassroots organizations that are lifting up fathers and getting them involved in the lives of their children. And if that's not possible, then a male mentor. Organizations like All Pro Dad, which has been championed by Family First, Mark Merrill and Tony Duntry, Man Up and Go. Um, these are great organizations who are doing great work in our community. And now the state of Florida is leading in the biggest way in the country to lift up fathers and engage them in the lives of their kids. And we're encouraged that you are leading in that way. It seems in so many ways we are looking to Florida and saying, yay, there's a great example. But uh, the, part of this fatherhood, fatherlessness challenge that the country is facing, a lot of people have made a connection between the rash of school shootings that everyone is horrified by. It's far too common. Once it's too common, but the, the rate at which we are seeing mass shootings inside our schools breaks everyone's heart. But there's a lot of people who have connected the dots and noted that the, the young men who and they are young men doing these things are generally growing up without a father. Do you agree that that is part of the cause of what we're seeing in that in those cases? There's no question. I mean, look, a, a country without without active fathers is a country with more crime. It's a country with more depression, more suicide. This isn't my opinion, uh, Joseph. This is this is a fact. You know, whether it's conservatives uh, who are talking about it, religious leaders, whether it's individuals who I think would identify as, as more left leaning, like Warren Farrell, who wrote a book called The Boy Crisis, where he goes through the 30 years worth of studies that back this up. There is no question. If you look at all those ailments that we just talked about, including, as you mentioned, the, the mass shootings and violence, um, the, the single dominant factor that unites those individuals is not having a present active father in the home. So, so we know that, and we've known it for a really long time. I, I think now we're just getting to the point where, where people are accepting that we're talking about it, and that when we talk about fathers and the importance of fathers, we, of course, um, are by, by no means uh, demeaning the, the role of mothers. In fact, we're saying quite the opposite, that that there's there's absent fathers there's not an epidemic of absent mothers yeah. and i think that you know what we need to have is as an intact family and we have to realize that the importance of engagement in, in children's lives are going to change their life for the better whether that's getting a job not being depressed less likely to be incarcerated um, these are these are items that impact all facets of our society not just individual families but literally um, the fabric of our communities and and we can talk about it we know it's the truth the question that we have and that's facing our country today is, are we going to do anything about it? And I think that's where Florida is a little bit apart, is that we've started to do something about it. Um, I've spoken to many of our colleagues across the country who are presiding officers in legislative chambers or elected leaders, and we're encouraging them um, to pick up the mantle here in Florida. We don't want this to be a Florida thing. We want this to be an America thing. Yeah, and we join you in that. We're talking to Speaker Chris Sprouls, Speaker of the House in Florida, and and. Uh, Representative, it, it's it's something where we understand environmentally that when there's an ecosystem, if you remove a salamander or a particular form of algae from that natural ecosystem, it disrupts the balance of everything that is happening there. 
But somehow, culturally, we seem to think that we can remove fathers from the home and everything's going to be fine as long as there are other adults around to love that child. But as you pointed out, the data is very clear that you can't. The family is its own social kind of ecosystem. God created in a specific way. And you can't just tinker with the variables because it's comfortable for you and you don't want to be there for the moment and then not have an impact. But uh, I want to ask you one more question. Give me some of the details about this legislation. Of course, there's some things government can't do. There are some things government can do. What have you tried to do specifically that you think will encourage fatherhood in the state of Florida? Yeah, that, that's a great point. And you know, we've said that repeatedly that you know you can't legislate responsible fatherhood or good judgment or moral character. But what you can do is realize that there are people in this country who get up every single morning working on this issue and trying to get fathers in the lives of their children. If that's not possible, then to you know, engage a male mentor for, for a child, realizing that, that a male role model is important in the lives uh, of children, girls and boys, particularly boys. The studies show that, that for whatever reason, uh, boys are more significantly impacted. We're seeing a K through 12 achievement gap for boys that is continuing to widen. We're seeing uh, you know, folks like the Federal Reserve number of years ago who said one of the greatest crisis in America is a boy crisis uh, because boys are dropping out of the workforce. They're not getting uh, employed. So one thing that we've done in this in this state is, and through this legislation, is we found these organizations, whether it's an all-pro dad who's focused on K-12 education, uh, using sports as a hook to, to get fathers to pour into the lives of their kids, whether it's organizations who are talking to dads who are coming out of prison, who have had no relationship with their children and giving them the tools um, to be an active father because they probably grew up in a home uh, given the statistics that didn't have a present father. Regardless of where we find these dads, what their socioeconomic background, whether it's a foster parent or a male role model, there are great churches, there are great organizations who are doing this work. How can we support them to allow their work to scale? And that's the biggest thing that we did in our bill. We put $70 million into grants um, to make sure that these organizations have the ability to employ more people when there are you know, proven methods of success to allow them to reach more fathers um, and get them engaged in the lives of their kids. Uh, you know, we also made the month, you know, Responsible Fatherhood Month and put $5 million into a, me a media marketing campaign um, to tell the, all, all dads across the state how important it is to be an active father in their children's lives. Representative Chris Sproul, Speaker of the House in the state of Florida, thank you so much for your leadership on this issue, uh, for your time today. Happy Father's Day to you. Thanks, Joseph. I appreciate it. Look forward to next time. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the segment, um, U.S. Representatives Burgess Owens of Utah and Byron Donalds of Florida have introduced, have followed the leadership of the state of Florida and introduced a uh, resolution affirming the importance and impact of fatherhood in the development of America's children. Now, in their announcement of the resolution, the congressman highlighted how research shows that increased involvement of fatherhood in the home leads to education excellence, economic prosperity, and improved social mobility for children. And they further underscored how essential fathers are in an op-ed published today at foxnews.com. And with me now is the third author, author excuse me, of that article. It's Jack Brewer, a former NFL safety, now chairman of the Center for Opportunity Now at the America First Policy Institute. Jack, welcome to Washington Watch. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Hey, we are so glad to have you. I want to tell us, uh, I'm going to refer to the article that you wrote, uh, you co-wrote in Fox News this week. You highlighted the fact that in America, 
18 and a half million children grow up without their fathers. That makes the U.S. the world leader in fatherlessness. What do you think the impact of this is? Uh, I mean, we see it in our streets. I mean, we saw it during the riots. Uh, we see it when we see the run-ins with law enforcement. We see it in our racial uh, disparities. You know, we, we see it in our educational disparities, when our reading and math proficiency levels um, that uh, mirror third-world countries in a lot of areas. Uh, it, it's really uh, the one crisis that's uh, affecting our entire nation. And it's been something that my foundation that's been around for uh, over 16 years has, has, has been working with hands-on. Um, I literally just left a juvenile a day and was at two juveniles yesterday. Uh, and you walk into these juvenile facilities where uh, these young men have committed uh, a lot of time violent crimes. Some of them have committed sex crimes. But there's one factor that remains the same across the board, and that's 85 to 90 percent of those guys uh, and those kids behind bars are fatherless. Uh, and so if, if we're not willing uh, to do something about that, if we're not willing uh, to do what the Bible teaches us to do, stand for righteousness and order, if we continue to be a nation um, that is really uh, blurred uh, the order of God, uh, blurred what the family means, uh, blurred what uh, the role of a father is, which is the head of the household. Uh, and the reason why the father is the head of the household is because they are there to instill that discipline and not spare the rod uh, and not hate them, their sons. And so right now we have a lot of children that don't have any discipline, which means they don't have any fear of God. Uh, they don't have a fear of a father and they don't have a fear of God. Uh, and that's a dangerous, dangerous combination uh, whenever you have a society that has so much access to social media and music and entertainment and all these other things that can penetrate the hearts and mind of the children. Yeah, that's a great point. And what we're doing at a policy level is so often dealing with the symptoms of the problem. We're trying to deal with poverty. We're trying to deal with crime problems. We're trying to deal with a lack of educational achievement. Do you agree that we are not yet giving enough attention to the root cause, things like fatherhood? I agree, and I, I know firsthand what can be done when you put a positive male influence uh, into an underserved child's life. Uh, we do it every day at the Jack Brewer Foundation with our American Heroes Fatherhood Initiative. Uh, we go in and get our hands dirty with kids uh, that are the most vulnerable, um, that are the, at the highest risk. And so oftentimes we like to talk about things that affect our own family, our own children, uh, but it's a it's a new day in America where we're going to have to start standing up for the most underserved, like the Bible tells us to do, and not just about the kids that we have, but also the kids that are outside in our communities that are underserved, uh, that don't have any choice. The government cannot solve these issues. These issues must be solved by citizens that are doing their own uh, work in the community uh, and taking up the responsibility of uplifting uh, the least of these. We're talking to uh, Jack Brewer. He's the chairman of the Center for Opportunity now at the America First Policy Institute. And, and Jack, part of my thinking about this issue of fatherlessness is that it's closely connected to the sexual revolution, and that this is one of the right. results of a of a sexual ethic that we have been pushing for a long time in this country, that you should just do what feels good and not have to worry about the consequences. Do you agree that the issue of fatherlessness is closely connected to the sexual revolution and the sexual ethic, this unbiblical sexual ethic that we've been pushing on young kids for a long time? No doubt. It's... it's uh... It's the direct results of that. Um, it's the reason why 
Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. I mean, it started to look a lot like what America is turning into um, with sexualizing children uh, and all this new, these new loose terms and these uh, loose uh, gender identities and no definition and really going against uh, everything that God has ordained uh, as a society and actually putting these things into law. I think that's when you go overboard. It's one thing to believe it, but it's another thing to actually put uh, an antichrist agenda into law. And so now you're 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 blurring righteousness, uh, and then you know the kids don't understand truth. And so if your kids don't understand truth, and that truth comes from the Word of God, uh, then you're going to have a lot of issues, and you're going to have be able to have a society that sexualizes the masses the way that they're doing now, and not have the pushback. And it, and it also stems from the universities. I mean, the universities that are training these um, these, these woke, liberal-minded teachers um, that you can choose anything that you want to choose, and that freedom uh, means that uh, you don't have to uh, depend on the Word of God as your truth, then you have that population now raising and teaching uh, our children. And that's what we have. If you look at our public schools, I mean, the issues that are going on now are are just unimaginable. Uh, kids do not have any discipline. Uh, if they do, they can commit crimes in school and not be held accountable. They don't suspend kids the way that they used to. They need to bring the paddle back to our school because that's the only place that you could hope to be able to in, in, instill some discipline into our yeah. children because, unfortunately, m- many of our parents aren't doing it and our schools aren't doing it. And yeah. so at the end of the day, as a society, we're failing the most vulnerable populations uh, in our communities. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. Jack, that when we teach kids to follow their heart, the result of that is that we have end up with a lot of kids without fathers. In about 30 seconds, we got a lot of people who care. What should people who want to help solve this problem do? I can tell you firsthand, you can come see us at the Jack Brewer Foundation. Uh, we're based down in Florida. We do work all over the, the country. Uh, you can go on, follow our work. Uh, we are in the prisons. We are in uh, the juveniles. We're working with the most vulnerable, hands-on. If you ever want to volunteer, uh, we can show you firsthand uh, what our country is facing because uh, we're literally Jack, on the front line. Jack Brewer, we are out of time, but we are grateful for your work and your time today. Thanks so much for being with us. God bless you. We will help. Friends, thank you for your time today. We'll see you on Monday. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.